Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this time. Thank you that we have this opportunity in the midst of our week to stop and to lean into you. God, as we come around your word, I pray it's not just written text for us today, but Holy Spirit, as we lean in and invite you to speak to us, that it would be life and revelation to the very core of who we are. So God, we welcome you in. We thank you that you are with us. Amen. 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 Have you ever been in a situation where you've had to follow someone very closely? I'm not talking about uh, the kind of the social media context we use today where we're following someone, but really we're just casually observing some highlights. But when you've really got to follow someone closely. I remember many years ago we were on a flight and we had a connecting flight that we had to catch, but the problem was the first flight had run late and was late arriving into the airport. And at the time, I think I was 21, I was older than I felt, to be honest, uh, and I was with my 23-year-old brother and we arrived in some airport, some country, and quickly realised we had about 25 minutes to get off the packed plane, make our way through the passport check and everything else and get onto another plane before it left without us. And if we didn't, we were going to be stranded in a country with no plan and no way out. Now, thankfully, as we got off the plane, and you know, you're trying to be, I don't know why all my stories about airports, maybe that's where most of my trauma is, but um, I don't know. Anyway, as we got off the plane, I remember seeing this air stewardess, and she was looking at us, and she looked very well presented, very capable, very calm, but I can see the panic behind her eyes. Because she knows she's got these two pretty clueless Australians to get from one plane to another in a very short amount of time. And so very quickly she made sure that we were the right people and then she instructed us that we needed to follow her immediately. Can I tell you, there was no observation or spectating to this process. We were off. We were chasing after her. For someone who was a fair bit shorter than I am, she could walk. And I we were struggling. We were weaving through crowds. We are dodging around people. We got to the passport gate, and, and she says, wait here for a second, runs off, has a conversation, comes back, come with me. We bypass everybody else. I did my best not to do the wave to them as I walked past them. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, managed to get through, managed to get to our boarding gate just in time and got the flight. Can I tell you what it meant to follow that lady in that moment was a whole lot different to just sitting back and observing and spectating. Can I encourage us this morning, we're in this series at the moment called Followers and what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, This year, Pastor Lucas said, this year is all about come follow me, the invitation for us to be disciples of Jesus and to help other people be disciples. Can I encourage you, this is not a passive spectating life we're called into. This is a life where we've got to follow Jesus closely, dearly, and let him lead us to where he would take us. It is one of the most exciting, enthralling, sometimes terrifying, but the greatest adventure we can have is to follow our Jesus. And this morning, I thought we'd talk a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus and also help other people follow him. 
Uh, I am known in our family as being the fast walker. Some of you may be familiar with the Rick Warren book, The Purpose Driven Life. In my family, I have what we call purpose driven legs, which means I'm not the, always the easiest to follow. Uh, when I'm on a mission, I'm on a mission. But I have learnt not only to follow, but to help people follow me. Uh, to the point that a couple of years ago, I was on a tour, and the tour guide, for whatever reason, didn't know me from a bar of soap, but picked me to make sure that everybody else was being able to follow him and wasn't getting lost in the crowd. And uh, I love what I do with our Life Leadership College and looking after our students. I do a lot of counting to make sure everybody's in class and I know where everybody is. And I ended up on my holiday counting our tour group, and I'm like, how does this happen? This just follows me. But there is a real gift to being able to teach people how to follow and to help people continue on the journey. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, Pastor James and Pastor Debs, just in a reprieve, thank you for being who you are. The sense I got during worship, Ben, is thank you for not just being so gracious and leading so well and loving people and inviting people in and never being about just getting the task done but valuing people. I also just really feel you've, de- you've dug deep when you've had to. Um, and thank you for those moments that no one else saw where you dig, 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 did dig deep. That's your tongue twister for today. Thank you for the moments where you did dig deep. Because your leadership and the example that you're setting, not just for us, but for your kids, is people who will follow God wherever they go. So can we give them a huge hand? We've got amazing campus pastors. They are the real deal. All right, Pastor Paul said to me this morning before the nine o'clock, he's like, be ready for detours. I'm ready. I hope you're also ready for detours because we're going to see where the Holy Spirit takes us today. Uh, We're going to talk in John 4 today about an unlikely candidate an unlikely candidate to follow Jesus and to be someone who others could follow. The encouragement from Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 is he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Do you know that that is that same invitation extended to you? That as you follow Jesus, you also will invite others to follow your example. But in John 4, we find a lady who, from the outside perspective and from her own perspective, was completely disqualified from being someone who would follow Jesus and would have people follow her. But there was one key thing that she did not realise which changed everything for her, and it's this idea, living water. Living water. We're going to talk about what living water is this morning and why it turns discipleship from being something we have to do into something we are. With living water, it's not another box to tick off, It's not another task, it's not another responsibility, it's not another thing to try and squeeze into the schedule on top of kids' music practice and sport practice and board meetings and work and Auckland traffic, which continues to bless us every day. But actually, discipleship's become something we are, and it becomes easy if we understand this idea of living water. So let's get into it. John chapter 4, from verse 4. We'll probably get seven words in and then I'll stop us because I love some context. It says this, Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. I love how it says he had to go. Not Jesus was delighted to go. Not Jesus heard all the cool kids were going through Samaria. 
Jesus had to go through Samaria. Uh, if I've ever talked to you before and we've ended up in a conversation about where I've lived and I've told you I lived in Brisbane, I have lied to you, okay? This is my confession to you all now. I have never lived in Brisbane. Where I have lived is in a little city called Logan, which is between Brisbane, there we go, which is between <laughs> Brisbane and the Gold Coast. Uh, and here's why that's funny. When I was in university, I was in university in Brisbane and uh, had a friend who was from Brisbane. And I remember telling her that I lived in Logan. She's like, where is that? It's like, it's literally the city below this one, south of this one. But, and we ended up figuring out that it was the Ikea on the way to the Gold Coast. That's what the whole city is, the Ikea on the way to the Gold Coast. That's unfair. It also has a koala park, but that's probably the end of the list. Uh, it's not a reputable place, or it's not a notable place. It's a great place, but there's not much that causes it to stand out compared to Brisbane or the Gold Coast. Well, Samaria was like that, but with a whole extra level of baggage. Samaria was a nation that was inhabited by people called Samaritans, which you may have heard in the Bible. And the Samaritans were deeply despised by the Jewish people. The reason was, in the Old Testament, I'm going to do a little bit of history, in the Old Testament there had been one big kingdom of Israel during King David's time, but after Solomon, it had split into two. There was the northern part, which was the biggest part, ten tribes, and that was known as the nation of Israel. And after the split, they failed to acknowledge God or worship God, they turned to idolatry, they turned to all sorts of terrible practices that we won't talk about here, um, awful, awful things going on, and all their kings were bad. And despite repeated warnings by the prophets in the Old Testament, the people of Israel never turned back to God. And they were eventually conquered by a nation called Assyria. Now, the southern kingdom, Judah, which did have some good kings and which did acknowledge God on and off, they would also go into an exile later on, but they would stay true to their worship and stay true to their faith. And actually, it caused them to come back to God. The northern kingdom, however, never returned to God. In fact, not only did they not return to God, but they ended up intermarrying with their captors, their oppressors, and they lost their identity. They don't, there's no such thing as an Israelite in the New Testament because they became uh, compromised in their identity, they become compromised in their worship, they have different pagan worship uh, rituals that they bring in, uh, and for the Jewish people, they were like, man, you, you are a compromised people. You've lost who you are, you've forgotten God, you haven't turned back to Him. And so Jewish people kind of had to go through Samaria if they were going between Judea and Galilee, but they wouldn't like it. They'd avoid it. It was kind of like um, driving through the worst part of town with your windows up, your music blaring and your eyes straight ahead. And Jesus finds himself between Judea and Galilee and he's going through Samaria and he does a very unusual thing. He stops. Now his disciples have gone off to get food and Jesus, rather than pick you know, a cool tree or something under the shade to kind of wait it out until the disciples comes back. He sits in one of the most public areas and one of the probably more exposed areas, which is at a well. And the Bible go on, goes on to say this. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there 
And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. The time's important because it's the hottest part of the day. No one should be out. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, I don't imagine this Samaritan woman is particularly um, indirect. I imagine she's the kind of person who tells you exactly what she thinks as soon as you meet her. Because she says, you are a Jew and I am a Gentile. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered with what he's really wanted to tell her all along. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up in eternal life spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, with such a huge statement, such a huge promise, you think the woman might grasp onto, what do you mean by this eternal water? What could this mean? But her first response is, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Okay, what's going on here? Well, we learn from later on as this woman speaks that She's been married five times by this point and is now with a sixth guy that she's not married to. Now, we don't know context. She could have lost five husbands. She could have been widowed five times and is now with a sixth guy. She could have been divorced multiple times. We don't know. What we do know is in in this culture at the time, this was the cause for a lot of shame. This was not really publicly accepted. And the only reason... I can come up with why this woman would have been at a well in the middle of the day when it was customary to go in the morning and the evening when it was cooler is that she's trying to avoid the crowds. You ever been in that situation where you're like, I just can't face being around people today? This is where she is. But day after day, she is excluding herself and hiding away to avoid the gossip, the scuttlebutt, the rumours and everything else. She's reclusive. But not only is she reclusive, she's defensive. Do you notice that as soon as Jesus starts speaking to her, she's like, oh, you think you're better than Jacob, our ancestor? She's coming straight in for the fight. The sad part of this is that rather than understand the miracle of that moment, she's looking to the past. She sees more hope in the history of what happened in the past than what could happen in her life today. But also she's disqualifying herself. She's like, well, I'm a a Samaritan. What would you want with me? Why would we have this conversation? And I love that Jesus is having this conversation with a woman who has discounted herself, decided that she's got no hope, and Jesus says, you know what I've got for you? I've got living water. Living water in Jesus' teaching symbolizes the Holy Spirit and eternal life. The Holy Spirit and eternal life. It is a promise of a life far beyond what we can control or we could um, summon up in our own lives and our own strength. Jesus is saying to her, I've got something greater than the water you come here for. I've got this promise of eternal life. You know, this promise of 
living water is the same that is the promise to us today. Do you know through Jesus that you have eternal life? Do you know that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you? He's not a limited source. He's not, uh, you know, he's not good for a couple of litres a day and then you've got to re recharge, but the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us, giving us relationship with God. He empowers us to live our lives and He gives us purpose and significance. And uh, after kind of the start to the year we've had, we may think of water and think, Maybe not the fondest memories. But he's in a, Jesus is in a dry place. The Middle East is a famously very dry and very barren area where actually the most precious commodity in the Middle East is not oil, but it's water. It's water that dictates all of life. Water is used for nourishing. Water is used for cleansing. Water is used for healing. And there's an image I thought of this week when I was thinking about this. It's a place in the United States called Death Valley. And yes, it's got its name for a reason. I think we've got a photo. Death Valley. This is what it looks like. It's in the eastern part of California. And it records some of the hottest temperatures on Earth. Uh, the, hot, the hottest temperature that's been recorded there is 57 degrees Celsius. Now, who are the people who like summer? Hands up. That's me, definitely. Who wants to be in 57 degrees Celsius heat? Yeah, that's what I thought. I'll ask you again in winter, you may change your mind. Uh, I guess at 57 degrees. Not only that, but the average annual rainfall is two inches. That's not per day, that's not per month, that's per year. It gets about two inches. It is a dry and desolate place. But a couple of years ago, it had an, an unusual weather pattern there was an unusual amount of rain that found itself over Death Valley. And this rain that was unexpected poured down and then the result was this. Do you know the Holy Spirit wants to do this in your life? Do you know he wants to do this in the life of the people you work with, your family? people you come across in the street, that person who walks in the store that you see once a week. He is, a, he is living water. He can bring even the dead things to life. You know, if you'd looked at that first picture, you'd never think in a million years that there were seeds there waiting to develop because the conditions have been so dry and so dusty and so dead for so long. But the Holy Spirit is living water. He's on the inside of us to bring life to us and life to the world around us. And this woman didn't understand as she started talking with Jesus, that's what he wanted to do for her. He wasn't talking about a physical thirst that would come and go. He's saying, I'm an unending source that for the rest of your life will bring you life and can bring you freedom and can bring ease and purpose to what you have at the moment. That was his promise. And I think it's significant that Jesus is having this conversation at a well. I don't think that's accidental. I think he's making a point. He's saying to this woman, as this well continues to provide water every time you come to it, you can be that well for yourself and for some other people as you come across them. So I thought, 
finish up, let's talk about how we can be wells. Um, it's a great conversation when someone comes up to you tomorrow and says, how are you? Rather than say, I am well, you can just say, I am a well, and really confuse them. <laughs> You're welcome. I just got the, you know, if I'm, I'm not, I don't have kids, but the dad anointing just sometimes flows. Uh, how can we be a well? And here's really simple. Jesus acknowledges all these things in his response to her, but three things that a well needs. First of all, it needs a source. Not a barbecue, not a Worcestershire, not aioli, none of those things. It needs a source. It needs something to tap into. It needs a reservoir. You know, there are so many times that uh, in my life where I have tried to make everything happen in my own strength, and it's exhausting. But do you realize that the Holy Spirit is our ongoing source for each and every day? Uh, this week, I kind of overcommitted myself. I do it less often than I used to, but I do it still far more than I like. I kind of said yes to a couple of things, and then went, oh, I didn't really think about my week and all the things I've got to get done. And so it's been a big week. Been a lot to do, some long hours, all the rest of it. It's fine. We're good. But it was a big week. And... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had my car broken into, and so that's been out of action for a few weeks, which has added into the levels of organization needed and sometimes the length of my days. And so at 6.38 on Wednesday morning, I was standing at the train station. I'm reading the Bible on my phone. I'm like, awesome. I've read my Bible. Now, God, you can talk to me about how I need to do everything today. You can talk to me about the sermon on Sunday and what all the things I need to say. God, you can talk to me about my sermon Sunday night and tell me all the things I need to say. God, what am I missing in the lives of our students? What do I need to encourage and call out and who do I need to make time to speak with? Uh, God, about my lectures today? What haven't I planned for? And I'm going through all this list as I'm walking from the train station now to work. You know when a kid gets super excited and they're bouncing all over the place and the parent just smiles in front of the guests and puts a hand on the shoulder? Like, settle down. Anyone know that feeling? No, you were all angels. Okay, I needed that when I was hyper as a child. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit did that, did that to me as we was walking. I'm like, what about, what about, how are we going to, what are we going to do? And just a... And it's almost like the whisper of the Holy Spirit of, just be with me. It lasted 23 seconds. And then I was like, yeah, but what about this? But we've got to do this, and how are we going to do that? And we're going to, I've, got, I've got meetings shortly, like we've got, I've got, there's a time, God, there's a time frame. Uh, and... Again, and it happened about three times in this walk, I just felt the Holy Spirit impress me and just say, just be with me. You know, everything got done that day, but there was a grace and an ease to it because I wasn't trying to summon it up myself, but I was tapping into the source. In this moment right now, I'm so aware that the Holy Spirit is present. My great hope is not that anyone will leave today and be like, gosh, that was a great message. My hope is that you'd walk out of here and be like, man, the Holy Spirit was with me. I sensed God's presence. He's reminded me of his word. I had a conversation with someone and I was able to encourage them. Or I feel a new sense of peace because we're aware the Holy Spirit is close and he is our source. Invite me to invite the worship team on up. So first of all, a well needs a source. Secondly, a well needs depth. Can I tell you what this looks like? Let me be really brutally honest. A depth means allowing God into every part of our lives. Sometimes with the heart, I'm like, yep, God, we're good, we're good, we're good. Okay, we're going to stop here. This is now getting uncomfortable. 
This is now getting into the things I don't really want you to talk to me about. We're now getting into the things I don't really want to deal with. But can I encourage you for us to walk in living water? It means letting God saturate and permeate every single part of us. Maybe for some of you in the room today, you know that God's asking you to do something and the obedient struggle is real. Can I gently encourage you? I don't know your situation, but can I tell you he's worth trusting? There is nothing that God has asked me to give. There is nothing that God has asked me to surrender. There is nothing that God has asked me to open up to him or to others that hasn't been for my growth. And it's amazing how parts of my life that felt dry and dusty and dead spring to life if I'll just let the living water in. I know some of you right now are facing a really tough time. The fact that you're here this morning is an incredible miracle and testament to your resilience. Can I encourage you though, don't just keep turning up, let him in. Let him bring life to that area. And the final thing is this. To be a well, you need a source, you need depth, but then finally, you need a way to give. A well never exists just for its own existence. It exists to bring life to others. You know, the woman after Jesus spoke to her, she didn't have it all together. Her circumstances didn't change. But she was so excited and enlivened by the fact that she had encountered Jesus that she realized that she could have this eternal life, that she ran to all the people she had been avoiding for a long time. She didn't run in with like a, here's my 10-week course, here's my degree, here's why I'm awesome. She runs in what she tells everyone, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Tell you what, that's someone who's encountered Jesus because I would not want to walk into a room and be like, come meet someone who told me everything I did because they'd be like, what did you do? But she said, I met someone. He's different. He's promised me living water. He's promised me that the dead parts of me can come to life. The result is the people from the town go out to find Jesus. He stays for two days and their lives are completely changed. You may be here thinking, Ben, like I I hear this, I hear Pastor Luke talk, I hear you talk about being someone who can disciple other people and help other people to discover Jesus. You might be disqualifying, disqualifying yourself like this woman did. But tell what, if you start with come see man, Come meet a Jesus who changed my life. That could be everything. Discipling other people, helping other people follow Jesus. I'm going to tell you now, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take a whole lot of prayer. It's not always going to be convenient. Sometimes it's not always going to feel worthwhile. But can I tell you, when we hang on in there with people, when we make space and time to point people to Jesus, to encourage them, to pray with them, to answer their questions, to give them some gentle chastisement, to be vulnerable and open with our lives when we do that. Living water starts to flow. We had our college graduation on Monday night and uh, I, I can't remember the, the, in the last, it's, I've almost been part of our college team for 10 years now. It's, it's somewhere around 200 students that have had the honour and the privilege of being able to speak into their lives. And one of the guys, oh, one of the guys put up an Instagram post last night. You know, when you get tagged in an Instagram post, it's one of three things. It's either something really good, 
something really bad or it's spam. And because of who it was, I knew it would be good. But uh, after graduation, this graduate had got myself, Max, our other lecturer, his coach, his dad, and another key figure in his life and asked for a photo with all of us. And he uploaded this photo last night and said, these are the men who've helped me understand what it means to reflect Jesus. I encourage you, that's, that's not exclusive to a church staff member. That's an offer available to all of us. If we would stop trying to do this in our own strength and just say, Jesus, would you use me? Jesus, would you let your living water rise up within me so I can give it to someone else? Come on, what would the world look like? Where can we bring life to the dry and dusty and dead parts of our world today? Where can we see people come into life? Why don't you stand with me this morning? Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you were encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life. And we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at any of our Auckland campuses. If you're not in Auckland, then check us out, Church Online, wherever you are in the world. Just head to lifenz.org or download the Life app to stay connected and find out more.